0: So, welcome back to I Heart Anxiety podcast. The I Heart Anxiety podcast is a brainless podcast, and its entire message, its entire purpose, is to essentially learn to love the uncomfortable, or love what seems to be getting in our way, love what we don't, what we aren't taught to love, which is essentially anything from anxiety, from depression, from certain people, from homeless people, from gay people, from. Anything in the world that we are supposedly taught to somehow disassociate from or disidentify from, especially when it comes to negative emotion. So we aren't, it's not emphasized that when you feel depressed or when you feel anxious, to sit with it, to dive deeper into it, to understand what it's really there to teach you, to see every negative emotion as somehow a gift or a lesson that we are to learn. You know, we're taught that crazies, mental health in general, is to be, you know, compartmentalized, put in the psych ward, and not to be dealt with. And then the issue arises when the average Joe, especially with the issue, considering our brains didn't evolve in this given society, when the average Joe has a lot of anxiety, he or she thinks that they're crazy. Um, or they don't want to talk about it or bring it up because of the stigma and i do want to say that thankfully the stigma is breaking there are many people that are pushing pushing hard and pushing gently to change the way that we view mental health to change the way that we talk about depression talk about stress in general i mean we already see this influx of eastern mindfulness eastern meditation taking over and permeating our western society which is really allowing for us to grasp Deeply, the reality that we can't keep living the way we're living. There's too many pressures. There's too many expectations. There's too many corrupt beliefs. There's too much programming in our subconscious mind and in our brain that's been instilled in us by the outside world, by the external environment that doesn't jive with us and that's driving us all crazy. So when this comes about, when any time you feel... An uncomfortable emotion, right? You really have two options. You either stare at it in the face and you find a way to learn deeply about it, find out what it's here to teach you, assuming it's a conscious being, conscious entity, and you grow from it. You become more conscious from, how, from learning how to deal with that. Or you medicate it, shove it away, distract yourself, try and act like it's not there. Now, sometimes in life, I myself have, I've fallen into both categories. When it's been in a really severe state of anxiety or severe state of obsession or depression, I've attempted to push it away, to distract myself, to eat, to drink, to go on social media, to do anything to soothe myself from the uncomfortableness that I faced. Only to realize that it's never not never going away it's not going to go away unless and until i decide to look at it and step into it and realize that it's just trying to make me more conscious it's trying to make me and teach me lessons trying to make me more conscious and teach me lessons that are going to help me to be more in alignment with who i am to be more peaceful and content and less stressed and able to be conscious and present for the people for other for the world Um, so I encourage you as I continue to make these episodes and as I continue to kind of hammer down the point that we're falling in love with what we think we don't love in this podcast, I encourage you to try and find the things in your life that you don't like and stop ignoring them. And I know it's scary and I know it's uncomfortable, but you don't need to seek any comfort outside. You have the ability inside of yourself to say, To be your own mother, to be your own father, to have a voice in your head that comforts you when you're sitting in that deep emotion and finding it uncomfortable. And you can sit there with it and and ask it questions, as stupid as you might feel. Ask the depression questions. Ask your anxiety questions. Say, why are you here? What are you here to teach me? What am I to do with this right now? But if you never allow it, if you never allow it to show you why it's here, it's never going to go away. And again, as I've talked a lot about the different theories and speculative causes of anxiety, and I've mentioned strongly that most anxiety, specifically because it's something I'm most familiar with, has arisen from the overactive alarm system in the brain, the amygdala. And since our current environment with such high stimulation, such high stimulus that wasn't created, that wasn't the environment in which our brains were created, since it's so triggering, we tend to be more anxious people nowadays. And though that is very much the truth, I don't necessarily think it's a bad thing. Because as generations continue to evolve and as humans continue to evolve, we become more and more conscious. We become more and more awake. And maybe it's a byproduct of heightened anxiety and heightened internal emotional and psychological distress that almost pops us open and forces us to be more conscious. But nevertheless, it happens. And what I'm, I'm just quickly segueing into this episode, but what this episode's really going to focus on is how our current sta- societal state, how our current society's state is fostering these sorts of negative emo- emotional and psychological distressing emotions within us, and how this is a good thing, and how we can grab onto this and take advantage of it to the extreme. Um, but before I get into that, I got a little carried away initially, I do want to mention that the I Heart Anxiety is a BrainLids podcast. So Brainless is my original organization that um, I've created this podcast kind of under the umbrella of BrainLids. And Brainless is really dedicated to creating educational experiences in all forms, be it podcasts or graphic design or workshops, classes, you know, granted, these are things that are going to be kind of creating as as the future unfolds, but an international organization dedicated to creating these educational experiences to really wake up the world to the reality of what it is that we're dealing with and how to optimize it and to elevate consciousness. Because the only way to make a change, the only way to be happier, even if you're already happy, you don't have to be suffering, even if you're already happy, but the way to be happier, more blissful, more joyful, more in control, more able to have choice, which is the ultimate basis of our reality, you need to become conscious. There's no other way. Because if you don't become conscious, and when I say conscious, I mean aware of what you're thinking, aware of what you're feeling, aware of what it is that you really want, and choosing your thoughts accordingly. That's the only way you get to create your reality. That's the only way that you begin to have creative power. And therefore go on to create your life however it is that you want. But if you remain unconscious, if you remain ruled by your brain, a brain that wasn't molded for you in the first place. I mean, we think that our brains are molded by us because our ego likes to act like we're in control. But they're not. They're not at all. From the ages of two to seven years old, your brain is essentially in a hypnotic state. And when I say hypnotic state, I mean a certain brain wave is active the entire, pretty much the entire time from age two to seven, that is essentially soaking into your subconscious mind everything that happens around you. So this is the reactions of your parents, the opinions of your parents, the fights or lack thereof of your parents, societal pressures, pressures from certain people at school, from your teachers. From magazines that you read, movies that you watch, everything is being soaked into your subconscious mind because your subconscious mind from two to seven is in this hypnotic state. And that's what your programming is for life until you become conscious. So people in the olden days and people now still sometimes think that personality and programming Once wired in your brain, once set, it is set. You take these personality tests, you find comfort in knowing what it is, how it is that you operate and who it is that you are. And that's all good and fair. But it's limiting. It's limiting. If you believe that your personality doesn't change and if you believe that your programming is the way it is and you're stuck with it, then that's going to be your truth. It's going to be your truth because your brain reacts to the beliefs that you have. So in my if my in my subconscious mind I think personality doesn't change it just doesn't change. Your personality is not going to change and you're going to be who you are for the rest of your life. And if you're good with that, hell yeah. If you're not good with that, you might want to change your subconscious belief. So, if I do hold the belief though, which is currently we're finding neuroscience and in clinical psychology and and in quantum physics and metaphysicians, they're all finding that your reality is a product of your subconscious programming. Your subconscious programming essentially is just a library of your experiences and your beliefs, which you have the power to change. But first you have to become conscious, not only of your thoughts, not only of your emotions, but conscious of your subconscious programming. And you might say, oh, well, I'm taught that you can't become conscious of subconscious things. Oh, well, they'll bubble up. They bubble up in in reactions. They bubble up when you get triggered. Every time you get triggered or have a really strong emotional reaction or a reaction in general, you're learning something about your subconscious programming. So you're able to sit there and say, huh, why did I just react to that person telling me that my opinion was stupid? Because if I knew that my opinion really wasn't stupid, if I didn't have a belief somewhere deep down in my subconscious that my opinion isn't stupid and not worthy of listening to, I wouldn't react to that person's comment. In order for me to react negatively to an external trigger, I need to have a trigger with me inside in the first place. And I'm very guilty of not having realized this. In my past relationships, I had a lot of triggers a lot of triggers that were deep and based upon beliefs that I had formed and programming that I had from childhood and from experiences in school, experiences of being misunderstood, experiences of feeling unwanted, especially experiences of feeling like a burden, an annoyance. So since I have, for example, all of these beliefs in my subconscious mind, every time an experience would arise that I think I attracted because it's what's in my mind so therefore it's what I'm attracting every time those experiences would arrive that I attracted that made me feel unwanted like a burden like an annoyance the only reason it was such a tumultuous time for me every time these things arise was because in my subconscious I had the beliefs I am unwanted I am annoying I am a burden etc etc so as I've become conscious Meditated and been hyper vigilant of my thoughts, and done yoga, and gotten into my body, and things like that. I'm more able to observe and have space between me and a reaction when I feel emotional, and then sit there with myself and ask, "What are the beliefs underlying this trigger?" So if I just got triggered feeling like I was annoying someone, what what belief do I have? I have to have a belief in there somehow, or I wouldn't have gotten triggered. So. The point of me saying this is that in, in traditional clinical psychology and in traditional um, personality psychology, researchers have thought, and therefore society has been made to believe, that your personality is static, that your brain is static, that your reactions are static, that you are who you are. And I remember having a conversation with time, one time with this, with this man outside of AJ's who walked up to me, and I was writing furiously about just this kind of stuff. I get really excited about it. And we had started to talk about what each other does, you know, a classic conversation. And as I started to talk about my work and as I started to talk about what I believed was, you know, the most important key for our liberation, which is rewiring of our brains and understanding that we can do so. I mean, this man started tearing up. He literally started crying. He couldn't believe that at 38 35, 38 years of age, he was in his late 30s. He's just now being aware of the fact that his brain is in his brain for life. And it makes so much sense. Because also, another theory that I've come to believe, totally speculative, is that... I'm just going to go for it. Somehow, not only have researchers and scientists, you know, just thought that our brain is the way it is because the research wasn't available in terms of how our brain is changeable and things like that. But I also feel on some level, this is a little bit of an evil speculation, but I'm going to go for it and let you guys play with the idea. On some level, people, people, somebody higher up, doesn't want us to know the power that we actually do have. Therefore, has kind of kept silent the power that we do have to reprogram our brains and rewire our brains and become very, very powerful beings that are in almost full control of our choices and our thoughts and what we manifest. And the reason I say this, just playing. Is because imagine if everybody actually knew that the power that they have, the insane power that they have to reprogram their subconscious mind and be a freaking powerhouse of accomplishment, of peace, of um, change. I mean, if we genuinely were in alignment with our hearts and our truths and we had the subconscious programming and the brain wiring to support that power, that aligned power, we would be freaking unstoppable as we are already becoming. And I just, I have this feeling, it could be totally misconstrued, that we're kind of purposefully shushed from that power, made to believe that our lives are the way they are, made to believe that our circumstances are just the cards you were dealt. And I think that that's all a load of bullshit. I think even if you're dealt the card of OCD, even if you're dealt the card of a lower socioeconomic class, even if you're dealt the card of a bipolar disorder, to an extent, I think there's a threshold, but to a pretty huge extent, it's, you're changeable. This is not a life sentence. You rewire your brain, your subconscious programming. You understand the power that you actually do hold to change your brain. You decide how you want to change it. And then you choose your thoughts accordingly. You choose your reactions accordingly. You do some serious introspection when you get triggered, understand your subconscious and therefore have power over yourself and power over your reactions. And the key, the best part is that nobody else in the world will ever have power over you again. If you really learn and understand yourself to the core, the dark parts and the light parts, the parts that you want to love and that you don't want to love, it's the ultimate freedom from the external world, the world that tries to create you and mold you in the first place. So going off of that a little bit, I want to talk about... um, Three different things that kind of help um, mold your brain the way you want to mold it. That help rewire your brain. That help you become more conscious of what's happening with your subconscious mind. And when I think subconscious, when you think subconscious mind, I want you to think beliefs. I want you to think memories. I want you to think triggers. All those things that kind of seem like the library of doom. That and then I also think that Freud, Sigmund Freud absolutely incredible psychologist um his theories had a lot to do with the sexual focus of our repressed emotions and experiences and the main reason that he said this from my current understanding is that you know i said ages two to seven when your brain is in that hypnotic state um you are soaking in everything around you and that's what's forming who you are and that's what's forming and encouraging or not your development. And the primary, for most people, the primary external influence during that time are your parents. So the emotional and physical attachments that you have with your parents from ages two to seven and even before age two is, are primarily related to different, different um, erogenous zones. You know, like the mouth and the anus and things like that. And those all have to do with your relationship with your parents. And the way that he described it is essentially if certain things go wrong within that development, then you could develop certain personality neuroses and things like that. So he really related it to the sexual aspect of relating to your parents. And definitely that is a huge key component that comes into effect when you're talking about the programming, the hypnotic um, insight that you got as a kid but it's not to be feared freud there's this negative conception of freud that it his sexual repressed theories are to be feared and i think that maybe this is just me but i really do think that as society freud has not intentionally associated the subconscious mind with this scary repressed sexual feelings you know Place that's very dark and scary, but the reality is that that's not the case. Though I'm sure, as you d- dive into your subconscious mind, I'm sure you will see how some of your beliefs and programming from younger ages that are lodged in your mind now, that are ruling and piloting your life, you'll see how they are related to, to to your sexuality and to your sex life in general, but not in the respect that something is, you know. Going to like blow your mind or something crazy. You didn't know that you were gay. You didn't know that you, you know, are in love with your dad. Like all these Oedipus complexes that we are made to believe. What, what most importantly, I want to shift the focus. What he's really talking about is it's the way you relate to another. So when you think sexual repression, you think obviously you know physical sex, but also we use sex as a way to relate to another individual. So when you're relating to another individual, sex isn't the only way to relate to another individual. It's definitely a powerful way to relate to another individual. But let's try and dissociate Freud's sexual theories from just being about sex. His theories are wider than that. His theories are about relating to others. His theories are about the way that we are or are not able to be intimate with another sexual or not sexual doesn't have to be It can also be emotionally because of what happened with our parents at younger ages so i really want to help to freud and sex and sexuality and the subconscious from this eerie dark negative taboo thing because it's really not it's really not it's about the way that we are able to relate to other people dependent on our earlier programming, how we were taught to relate to other people, how we did or didn't develop um, emotionally and physically. So I just wanted to talk about that because I really don't want anybody to fear the subconscious mind because it is scary when you think about the fact that our subconscious mind, change the way I said that, it can be scary to think about the fact that our subconscious mind rules 95% of our day-to-day experiences, meaning to say, the beliefs that you have in your subconscious mind form your habitual ways of thinking and acting. And if you're not conscious, 95% of the day you're going to be on an autopilot based on your old experiences, your old beliefs, your past conditioning, all that. It's going to be ruling your life habitually with no choice in the matter. So in that circumstance, absolutely, you're living in a world of determinism. You didn't necessarily choose or determine the way you're acting, and the way you're thinking, your past did, your old beliefs did, sometimes beliefs that you did not choose for yourself in the first place, actually, most of the time beliefs that you didn't choose for yourself in the first place. So to become conscious, to become aware, to become hypervigilant of your triggers, of your reactions, to become really honest with yourself about what it is that you believe, you're going to have to peep into the subconscious, to become Present with yourself and hyper vigilant of your thoughts so that when things come up, you are there and ready to take it in. So, I want to talk about a couple of things that are going to help you become conscious, help you become aware enough to the point where you have the ultimate gift of consciousness, which is the freedom to choose, the freedom to make decisions from a free place, not from a determinate place, meaning the freedom to make decisions as to what it is you really want for yourself and really want in general, not dependent on what somebody from the past thought you should want, from what society thinks you should want, from what your parents think you should want, from how people think you should look. All these things are currently have molded your brain and are limiting you from actually getting what it is that you want. Think about it this way. If I have a squishy brain and everyone on the outside has all these tools and they're chipping away, molding my brain from ages two to seven, even eight, nine, ten, molding my brain. And then I I get here and I'm at age 24 and I say, huh, what do I really want? Where do I really want to go? Who do I really want to be? I'm going to be, if that isn't in alignment with my past conditioning, my past beliefs, the ones that molded my brain, what I was talking about. I'm going to continuously sabotage myself, continuously sabotage myself, because no matter what it is that I think I really want, if my belief system, if my subconscious mind is not in line in my values, if my values aren't in alignment with that, I'm never going to get that because my brain isn't going to be focused on getting that. Let me give you an example in our let me give you a deeper explanation. In our brain, we have what's called the reticular activating system. So it's really, really simple. Just think about it as if it's a filter of anything that comes into your awareness. And it purposefully draws its attention to specific places. So this activating system filters out anything that it doesn't think is important and focuses its attention on what it does think is important. Now, the way it determines what to filter or not to filter is dependent on your beliefs. your subconscious mind on what it is that you're looking for so for example if I tell myself if because of my experiences as a child because of my repetitive thought process I've wired into my brain and into my subconscious mind the belief that I am a burden I'm always in people's way then since that is a belief my activating my reticular activating system my filtration system is going to say okay okay we believe that we are always in people's way, that we're a burden. So filter out anything that could potentially prove otherwise. And since this is our belief and we want to ensure that we're confirming what it is that we believe because that's how the brain works. It wants to continuously confirm what it is that it believes. That's its way to kind of stay alive, to chuck forward, to solve issues. Just confirm, 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 confirm. Then if that's the belief I have, it's going to continually look for situations in which I'm always in the way that I am a burden, that I feel like a burden so that the system can go, okay, find situations, find situations. Oh, see, look, you were just in that person's way. You are such a burden. You're always in people's ways. Uh Aha, confirmed. That's how the reticular activating system works. That's how that belief gets wired more deeply into my brain, more deeply into my subconscious and makes me feel more and more like shit. That's how it works. So if my filtration system is constantly looking for proof that I'm unworthy, proof that I'm in people's ways, proof that I'm not capable enough, proof that I'm not good at public speaking, proof that whatever it is for you, whatever is holding you back, if you really believe that I'm not good at public speaking, oh, I'm just an anxious person, oh, I'm just, I'm not good at talking to other people. If you keep telling yourself this, the filtration system in your brain is going to just say, okay, that's what you believe, fine. Let's look for ways over and over again to confirm that this is the truth now that's just a confirmation bias you're looking for information to confirm something that you decided to believe that is not the objective truth so it's our responsibility if we are not skyrocketing at our highest potential as a person to form to understand the beliefs that are currently running our filtration systems to understand the beliefs that are currently limiting and sabotaging us from actually doing what we want to do. Because most of the time when you want to be happy, when you want to lose weight, when you want to feel good, when you want to have your dream life, it's not that you're not worthy and it's not that you're not capable. Most of the time it's that there are somehow beliefs in your subconscious mind that are sabotaging you. Your brain cares so much about you but it only knows what you tell it. So if you tell it all these negative beliefs, it's going to try its hardest to confirm those negative beliefs and sabotage your success. Now, on the contrary, if I tell my brain repeatedly, if I repeat, rep- repetition is the key to forming new brain pathways, new habits, new subconscious beliefs, as is, as is hyp- hypnosis, but we'll get into that in another episode. As I repeat that I am worthy, I I'm worthy of taking up space. I'm worthy of being heard. My voice is worthy of being heard. I have something to say. I am a good person. I do have a good heart. The more I believe these things, guess what my brain is going to do? My filtration system, my reticular activating filtration system is going to look for experiences, people, things in the environment that prove this is the truth for me. This is how you create your reality. You hear all this woo-woo talk about, create your reality. Ooh, this is how you create your reality. It's by the way that you think repeatedly. The way you think repeatedly forms the beliefs that soak into your subconscious mind. Your subconscious mind is the literal driver of your life. So, yes, determinism is real. Yes, you can choose how your life is determined. That's the thing. But first, you have to become conscious. So a few of the things, ways to become conscious is, um, just really two more things. We always hear the importance about food and about exercise. And we think that it's just so we look good or so that, you know, whatever, we can attract a mate, which is definitely important because we are evolutionary creatures who are ruled by certain modules but if you become conscious of the module, you don't have to be ruled by it. You could choose to. Anyways, um, the reason that food... Let's we'll start with food and then we'll go and exercise quickly. The reason that food is so critical is because not only does it give you the energy to be, to become aware, the energy to be vigilant of your thoughts because it does take energy. If you're weak and tired and low in energy you're not going to be able to be have a strong cognitive faculty. You're not going to be able to have the energy to observe, which does take energy. So the food, if you eat the right kinds of food, it gives you the proper energy to even have the strength that it takes to be conscious in the first place. But most importantly, it allows you to do so with clarity. So when you're eating food that's extremely heavily processed all the time not just sometimes it's okay all the time or you're eating food that just makes you sit really heavy and takes a long time to digest you're making your cognition you're making your consciousness really muggy that's when you hear the concept of brain fog so even if i have the energy to become conscious the energy to introspect the energy to choose my thoughts which takes energy like anything Um, Noons laws, but I also need the clarity, a clear energy. I don't want a muggy. I don't want a brain fog while I'm trying to pick my thoughts. I want clarity. That's what clean food does to your brain. So it allows you first the energy to choose what you want, the clarity to see what it is that you really want. And then thirdly, the cocktail of chemicals to actually make the change. When I say that, I mean your food is digested in the gut. The gut is what's mainly responsible for creating the, the neurotransmitters or the molecules that fire and connect all the different things in your brain. So if I'm eating shitty food, I'm creating lower quality molecules in my brain and therefore I'm not allowing for those connections to be forming as permanently, as deeply as I would like them to be. So Eating properly gives you the right cocktails to work within your mind when you're creating these new pathways, choosing your thoughts, deciding which beliefs that you want to have about yourself and about the world. So the three things food does, it gives you the energy to make change, the energy to become conscious, the clarity that you need to become conscious, to not have brain fog so you know what it is that you want to choose when you're conscious, and the cocktail of chemicals in your brain to set up the foundation for the change. And then on the other hand, exercise. The main thing that I'm going to talk about exercise does a variety of wondrous things for your body, for your muscles, for your oxygen flow, for your heart, absolutely. But the one thing I really want to focus on is that if I'm trying to form new beliefs, if I'm trying to kind of reconstruct my um, subconscious programming, I need new material to work with. So it's much easier if... Let's say this is the neural pathway. This is the pathway in my brain that says I'm a burden and I'm annoying. This, if this is like all these little brain cells, there's so many brain cells that are connecting this highway together. This thought is the highway. So I'm a burden. I'm a burden. I'm a burden. I'm a. Mar- if I really wire this neuronal pathway in my brain, it's going to take work to break that pathway open. Energy. It's going to take energy to break that pathway open and reform a new one. I am a joy to have in the space of the world. So when you exercise, you're creating new brain cells. So you're creating a brain-derived neurotrophic factor, which is the molecule responsible for growth of new brain cells. You're creating more brain cells, more ability to choose your pathways, to form different pathways, than not just work so hard on breaking this one, but to have material to just say, how about we just go this way instead? So if I eat right, if I have the energy, the clarity and the cocktail of chemicals ready to rock when I'm becoming conscious and I have new brain cells when I'm becoming conscious, you are really setting yourself up for success to become really, really powerful, to become in control of your choices. And that's, again, the key, the key, the key, the key to liberating yourself from a life that you don't like, from an emotional state that you don't like, is becoming conscious, rewiring your brain so that you have choice, so that you have choice of how it is that you want to be and act and feel and live. Um, so yeah, those are the really the main things I wanted to talk about today. And the main things that I find absolutely the most passionate about. So you're going to hear these things repeated by me and by m- many people a lot lately. Because now we're f- researchers and, and psychologists and holistic psychologists, as you know, the Buddhists have known for a long time and other Eastern healers, that we're not stuck with a brain for life. We're not stuck with a personality for life. That as you become conscious and as you rewire your brain and as you optimize your ability to rewire your brain, you become a new person. I mean, you really do become a new person and don't listen to the people that think that you can't. And also don't use this though. Please don't use this. I, I at least strongly advise you not to use this as a way to change other people. You can have hope that if they want to change, they can, but you are not the one that's going to be doing the changing so if you have a spouse or a loved one or a parent or just a friend or someone that you say, oh, perfect, we can rewire our brains. Yeah, I'm going to change them. Ooh, You have to put your agency behind the, the, the desire to change for it to work. You can't, you know, obviously there are certain circumstances with the little kids, for example, who have autism or who have certain learning and behavioral disorders that you change their external environment for them to um, change their behaviors, yes, but they're younger and it's a little bit different and and they have less strongly wired pathways that allow them to change more rapidly. So now as we're older and we have a lot of strong pathways, especially the older you get, it's not that you become less, um, it's not that the emphasis is that you become less flexible to change, the emphasis is just that you have a lot more set in stone pathways, set in stone beliefs, set in stone experiences, but if you become conscious and you have the desire to change you can you can change at any age. I do believe that, um, but it isn't means for you to go changing other people, but that's just a side tangent um yes, so I encourage you I encourage you to take these things to heart. I encourage you to find areas in your life where you find yourself either repeating the same experiences that you don't like, continuously being broke, continuously being left in a relationship, continuously. Finding yourself fired from a job and asking yourself, okay, what are the beliefs? What is the subconscious programming that's um, perpetuating itself through these experiences? What What is my filter, my articular activating system? What is my filter in my brain always confirming about me? That I'm always in the way? That I'm never good enough? That I'm never smart enough? That I'm an anxious person? That I'm not good at uh, giving presentations? What are you telling yourself? What have you told yourself for a long time that is currently sabotaging your life um so yeah play with this have fun with it it doesn't have to be ultra serious obviously it's your brain and you have you're the one creating it so it is a responsibility but it isn't it isn't you know a scare it isn't an um what's the word i'm looking for like a daunting one it should be fun you know it should be it should be exciting you could really become whoever it is that you want to become by just the way that you think about yourself. Therefore, the way you run your subconscious programming, therefore the way you are driving about life. So enjoy and play with it. And let me know if you have any questions about it. And I'll keep hashing these topics down. This is like the absolute foundation of my my, my um, philosophy on mental health and on healing and on changing your life and unending ending suffering. And definitely the philosophy that Brainless is going to continue to run by and the philosophy that I heard Anxiety Podcast is going to continue to hash in. So let me know if you have questions, if you don't understand, if you want more explanations on something. I'm definitely going to explain more about um, Freud's theories and about um, different psychologists and psychiatrists' theories related to personality and to development, because I think it's important to look at their different ways of understanding human development, um, because everyone's piece of the puzzle adds one more piece to the full puzzle and gives us a more objective picture of it. Um, So yeah. I hope you guys learned something from this and take something away from it and that it somehow makes your experience just that much better. Okay, thanks for listening, guys.